Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Well, hi. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Dr. Fred, another episode of Study, Grow, Know, and this one's called Growing Away. My wife and I recently asked ourselves, where did we go wrong with respect to our grown adult children who now have their own spouses and are in the process of raising their own children, our grandchildren? Well, let me explain. We raised our children with the habit of going to church. We were involved in church and they were involved in church because of it. Whether it was Sunday school classes for them or Awana groups or something else, we made sure that we were in the habit of going to church and participating in it. My wife and I have always viewed going to church as something Christians should do for a number of reasons. Our commitment to the Lord, a visual testimony to the world, the chance to grow in grace, the support of other Christians, and fellowship. Now, that above list, that five points that I just mentioned, it's not exhaustive, but it covers the primary reasons for continuing the practice of going to church. And looking back, it's very clear to both my wife and I that we often forced ourselves to go because the teaching from the pulpit too often was rather lackluster at best. And over the years, we've attended churches which were doctrinally correct, but lacking in a vivid reality where God is concerned. And this tended to play out in me focusing on my watch during services instead of the reason that I was there to begin with. Now, I can relate to the fact that finding a good, solid, biblical church where the teaching is expositional and biblically sound and the people actually exercise a reality in their lives that makes you want to be near them, that finding that is difficult at best. Sometimes it's nearly impossible to find such a church. I can recall that we ended up attending a church that seemed great in the beginning, but over time, the cracks begin to show. Often the pastor was shown to be a micromanager who had to have his fingers on everything and had an absolute revulsion at the thought of relaxing his grip. Well, this created a tension that rippled through the entire congregation, and I've learned that pastors who take that approach end up slowly choking the very life out of that local body of believers. And people try to address things, and they're initially met with, oh, yes, that's great, only to eventually realize that those were only words. In reality, if the idea didn't come from the pastor himself, well, it really wasn't considered worthy enough to truly be considered. And then there are those churches we've also attended where expositional teaching was not done. Though the pastor would disagree with that assessment, I'm sure he felt like he was expositing scripture. But his topical sermons were the norm, and they were often not that great. In order to properly preach expositionally, which is verse by verse through a book of the Bible, through chapter and book, A great deal of study must be undertaken by the pastor to ensure that everything is clearly within the context of God's Word. We've been to many churches over the years that we've been married, going on 36, and we have only a few that have provided good memories and a warm heart. They've been a tremendous blessing to us. There have been, unfortunately, too many churches that offered nothing except great get-togethers where the people were excited to be there. Oh, the music was great. It was exciting. Oh, I love the light show. And there was always a dearth 
of real biblical teaching and Christianity in action. So we've always tried our best to make sure our children, as they grew, not only knew the importance of going to church, but were involved in it. And they saw, by way of example from us, how important church is and was, because it's something that all Christians should be involved in on a regular basis. Now, again, I know how difficult this can be, depending upon where a person lives and what's near them. I truly get it. But something happened a few years ago that made it extremely easy for people who were attending church on a regular basis to simply stop going and opt at best for online church instead. That something was, of course, C-19, the scourge of modern day society globally. Now, we live in a state now where the governor did not mandate that churches close for the 15 days to slow the spread. It was supposed to be two weeks. However, our governor strongly recommended it. And because of this, the church we were going to then chose to follow that recommendation. And I recall being not real happy with that, kind of angry. I wasn't happy. And I just wondered, why didn't the pastor simply stand up and recommend that everyone who felt insecure about attending physically should simply stay home? Instead, we were being treated as though we were all potentially walking around like lepers, sick, and the only real solution was to social distance and lock down, which actually, I think, and many doctors, actual doctors, have discussed this, I think it actually created more problems for people because we weren't creating herd immunity. But a lot of people disagree with that assessment, so whatever. I realize most churches in the USA lock down. And I recall our pastor then, you know, why we couldn't gather. I, I, I recall asking him, why couldn't we gather in cars in the church parking lot at least? And he could broadcast the service over the radio that we could hear in our cars. Well, his answer was that he was concerned that this would appear to be, you know, defiant to the community. Well, God forbid Christians appear to be defiant to Caesar, I suppose. So we know the story. 15 days turned into two years. Churches were penalized for trying to remain open, as were, of course, many businesses. A few pastors were arrested and jailed for their defiance or their inciting people to attend church, which apparently had been forbidden. It was non-essential. But the globalists got what they wanted because a very large percentage of churchgoers simply stopped going and they never came back. It has become the way for too many today. Now, our kids, unfortunately, are among them. Now, they would argue that, well, we've got small children who take naps during the time of church service and disrupt the children's routine. That's something we don't want. We want to avoid that. I get it. My wife gets it. In fact, since we raised our own children, we 100% get it. However, we always found a way to be fairly consistent in attending church. Is this part of the great falling away? But even if the reasons stated have merit, and I'm not sure they do, how often did or do my children and their spouses and their children join in a service online? If you guessed zero times or less than five, you'd be correct. The plain truth of the matter is that church is simply no longer of any real importance to not just the young generation today, but to many people, regardless of age. 
So in that sense, globalists garnered a major win for their side, destroying a tradition. Now in church that we currently attend and our members, I recall the pastor telling us that prior to C-19, about 400 people regularly attended church there over two services every Sunday. The fallout from C-19 has basically less than halved that number roughly. And he indicated that according to the experts, those who are left and who did leave aren't coming back. I did notice this past Easter Sunday, though, there were more than usual in attendance. So many of the folks who used to attend regularly but no longer do have become like my own father, who maybe attended church once, maybe twice a year. That's it. I read through 1 Samuel, and I wonder how Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were priests of the Lord, could have become so immoral. Remember, these are sons of Eli. Eli was the priest. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also priests. Well, how did those two men, two sons of his, become so immoral? How did it happen? Probably two reasons. Eli was not as firm or that much of a role model for them. And two, the sons got to a point where they started making their own decisions. Now, it seems clear from 1 Samuel 1 that God had already had a plan to set Eli and his sons aside with the coming birth of Samuel. Quote, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord, unquote. The above verse, 1 Samuel 1.12, tells us what we need to know about Hophni and Phinehas. They were priests, but they didn't know the Lord. They were absolute scoundrels and were simply using the priesthood for their own selfish gain and empowerment. Well, clearly, Eli did not raise them the way he should have raised them because they didn't even know the Lord. It was a job for them with prestige and power, and they abused it. That was it. So God chose to end their lives and also Eli's and no one from Eli's line would ever be a priest before God again. Then came Samuel and he was trained by Eli. Samuel grew into a man who was committed to the Lord and walked in his ways. And he eventually became a judge of Israel for Samuel seven. However, he also had a problem with sons. Quote, Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel and the name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice, unquote. So the above text, 1 Samuel 8, 1-3, points out what we need to know about Samuel's sons. There appears to be some slight differences between Eli's sons and Samuel's sons. The latter, Samuel's, may have originally followed the Lord wholeheartedly, but then succumbed to temptation, while the former, Eli's sons, may never have followed the Lord at all. Obviously, they they didn't from their heart. In any case, God does not speak against Samuel or deal with him for the waywardness of his sons like he did with Eli. All right, my two adult kids are not immoral, and neither are their spouses, as far as I know. I believe they all know the Lord and are authentic Christians. They don't necessarily mind going to church, but to date, I don't think they see the harm in not attending. They'd have more friends 
I've mentioned that being involved in church can translate to finding other people in their age group and enjoying fellowship with them over the common beliefs that they share. But I might as well be talking to a wall, which would be less frustrating because I know the wall at least can't comprehend and hear what I'm saying. So it has an excuse. Now, I'm not trying to make my children and their spouses sound like ill-mannered, selfish, immoral brats because they're not. Both spouses of my children are loving and giving. However, it is clear that church is simply not important, and I see it as an external testimony of my inner Christianity. So in that sense, it is important. Reading the Bible daily, there's never enough time for that, apparently. So what do my wife and I do now? We've raised our children, and now we get to watch them make mistakes and grow away from the Lord. Oh, joy. Yes, joy. They put up with our advice politely, but it's clear that they are now the parents with children and our advice doesn't have value. It's absolutely astounding to me to experience this. All my wife and I can do is pray for them constantly. And I probably did not do enough as we raised them. I didn't pray for them enough. That's my fault. I readily admit it. I must pray that God will hem them in and impress upon them their need for church, not just for church's sake, but as a vehicle to get to know the Lord better, to grow in your relationship with him and to find fellowship with other Christians. I just turned 65. I'm not Solomon by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm finding it strange to realize that my parental advice is no longer wanted or needed. It isn't. Apparently, my wife and I can't really understand. Life was totally different for us. What can we actually offer? I've even noticed that my daughter, who has an A-type personality like me, tends to talk to me at times as though she is my equal. I laugh outwardly, but inside I ache a bit, not because she sees me as an equal, but because she appears to have lost respect for me. I used to wonder how Eli's and Samuel's sons came to be what they were, and now I I think I know the answer. Again, while my kids are not immoral, like those men from the Hebrew Scriptures, My kids have grown away from an active relationship with the Lord. My only recourse is to pray, pray, and pray some more. Only God can illuminate the darkness of their hearts and give them a heart of flesh, one that craves him, his presence, and wants more than anything to follow him to the ends of the earth. All my advice won't accomplish that. It'll just be white noise to them. So I pray. Will you join me in prayer for my two kids, please? I know God wants for them far more than they have now. I thank you. Third John 1.4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Thanks for joining me today. And I pray until we meet again, that God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 